welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful have been handed down for generations. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, we preserve the ag heritage and traditions we built our identity on while pursuing the American dream of multi-generation farms that innovate for the future. Listen along as we share stories of how farmers and ranchers are building legacies, both in their business and their character, for the sake of those they'll pass the reins to. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to talk with you about the financial, generational, and production challenges facing producers in the ag industry today. This podcast is brought to you by Back Pocket Social Marketing, and yes, this is Lexi here to interrupt my own voice with, well, more of my voice. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. So all of the time that goes into interviewing guests, developing and editing the podcast is sponsored by my main gig, my day job, which is freelance marketing. I own Back Pocket Social Marketing, and we specialize in social media advertising, social media content creation and management, email marketing, and website design. So if you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing to figure out what's working and what's not, and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at lexi at backpocketsocial.com. We would love to talk with you. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me on the Farming on Purpose podcast today. I was so excited when you um, accepted my invitation to come chat with us. I first um, listened to you speak on the Rural Revival podcast, and then I went and checked out your Instagram and have been following your story and just really thought you had so much to share about your experience. So thank you so much for being here. Would you mind taking a minute just to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thanks for having me. I guess just my elevator pitch of who I am. Um, I'm a sixth generation farmer in Northeast Nebraska. Uh, We're pretty diversified. We have a feedlot, we have a cow-calf operation, we have crops, and then we have chickens for Costco. So we have 60,000 pullets that we raise for Lincoln Proven Poultry, which is a company that supplies a chicken for Costco. That's kind of the farming aspect when I'm not on the farm. I love photography. I love capturing family farmers. I love history. Um, I love gardening. And somehow my life is just you know, all those combined and just living my best life on the farm uh, most days. You have such a positive attitude and it just like exudes from you. So I'm so excited to chat with you today. Um, I'm excited to be here too. I'm anxious to hear. um, I didn't know you were a fellow history lover. So if you have any favorite history facts that you think of that relate as we chat here today, don't hesitate to share them because that is a shared interest. So yeah, it's actually more so like my family history and local history. Um, I love like Ken Burns documentaries, you know, like our country's history for sure. But I'm fortunate enough, my family uh, has had a really well 
written and documented history. Um, at my grandma's house, she basically has a closet that is just filled with books upon books and photo albums. And the cool thing is not only do we have all this information, but everything is dated and there's, you know, one line explanation on it. There's oftentimes um, people's names written on it. So I have a really clear understanding of my family's history. And that was really important for me and kind of why I ended up back on the farm. Um, and then also unique to my hometown of Wakefield, Nebraska, we have two museums that I love to show off to people. They're really well done for the size of our town. And so and behind me, there's just a lot of different older stuff. I guess I have a personal, it's my personal mission to make my house look like a museum. So it is just kind of as we go into winter, as we go into the slower month, a lot of my winter projects revolve around scanning old family photos and just digitalizing them um, because, you know, God forbid, if my grandma's house goes up in flames, all that history does too. So that's how I'm contributing to our family history is digitalizing all those photos and stories just so that they last for even more generations to come. That's amazing. I love the fact that you can like go back and see all of this documentation that is so meaningful and so much work that goes into that. So yes, really cool yes. That your families pass that on. Yeah. And it's a lot of work to digitalize everything as well. So if you need any tips on that, I've, I've kind of got a good handle on some of that stuff, but it's definitely a winter project when, uh, <laughs> The days are a lot shorter and light and we get, I get home a little bit earlier looking for a few more things to do in the winter. That has been a really good winter project in the past and I'm continuing it this winter as well. Very cool. Now, what museums are in your town? So we have a depot museum, which is the old, like the old depot in Wakefield. You know, every town was along the railroad at some point. Mm -hmm. And that has a lot of Wakefield history in it. Um, we also have someone in our town that's put together as I'm not sure the right words, but you know, this, the trains that run on tracks. And so he's like replicated the town of Wakefield in some of his, you know, setups that he's done. So it's really cool to see how they traveled back in the day, obviously. And then our other museum, I call the library museum. It was the original library, but it's kind of like a living history museum. So they have like an old bedroom, an old kitchen, a dining room set up, an old schoolhouse, and a lot of just a lot of Wakefield history in there as well. And I personally really love that because my great grandma who I knew and she lived to 102, some of her old things are in there. So we're definitely really blessed to have some leaders in Wakefield that really took on and put a lot of work into these museums. And for anyone that ever or that knows me in real life, like Anytime they come visit me or whatever, I'm like, I've got to take you to the museums in Wakefield. That's kind of how I show our little slice of heaven here in Northeast Nebraska. And then anytime uh, I road trip anywhere, uh, I annoy the people I'm with because I have to stop at all the other little small town museums and kind of compare them and check them out and see know if there's things that we can do to improve ours um, but there's so much history in these little museums not only in our town but all these other little towns and I'm just really grateful that the leaders in out in our town put the work into it so that people like me can understand our town's history I think that's beautiful um, and I love small town museums as well I think it's like you know people talk about the Midwest being a bunch of flyover states but those little small town museums I think are like the hidden hidden gem of tourism in the Midwest yes Especially absolutely if you're a history buff 
Yes. And every one of them has a little old lady in there that's just <laughs> wanting to talk and tell her stories and tell the town stories. And I've, I, I love storytelling. I love listening to stories. Um, so that's definitely something that I recommend to everyone is, you know, uh, how do you support your local museums and how do you get to know your local area? And that's the best way to travel anywhere is just to visit all the local small museums. They're just the absolute best. And talk to the little old ladies because they know yes. all the things you want to know. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's going to be me in like 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, speaking of storytelling, um, I watched a video that you put together about kind of the history of your farming operation. Now, I know you're the sixth generation. Um, the video I saw that you did was about your grandma. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to tell that story and um, your kind of your grandma's role on your family operation. Yeah, so that video that you watched, I put together middle of an, like, it was 10 o'clock one night to submit it to Syngenta to win this rooted in ag contest. And I can't remember the exact prompt. It was something along the lines of who inspires you in agriculture. And my grandma, who's 86 or seven, is a matriarch on our farm. Grandpa passed 12 years ago and she still lives on the home place, the homestead. And she's the glue that holds our family together. So she had four, she has four boys that all farm together, my dad and his three brothers. And then there's 10 of us grandkids. And we all live within a few mile radius. Um, grandma uh, has been there my whole life. Obviously I've grown up just a few miles from her. And so before I could drive, I took I, my parents allowed us kids to take the four-wheeler over to grandma and grandpa's. Um, today, she's actively involved. You know, she fixes meal, noon meals every day. When we're in the field, she's putting lunches together. Um, her door is always open. She always is, she always has cookies on a plate when you walk in. The fridge is stocked full of Mountain Dew. She's chasing after all of our us grandkids. She goes to all the sports games. She's, you know, in church every Sunday and, you know, Sunday school, she's just really, you know, the bread and butter of, you know, what make this area so well. Like she just has such a rich story of farming and family and faithfulness that just really inspires me to be who I want to be. I have a very vivid memory of when I went over to her house to say goodbye, like I was moving to college, I walked out and she said, Hannah, and I turned around, she said, don't forget where you came from. And that has always stuck with me because where I come from, what we do is who I am. And my grandma keeps me grounded through that. Grandmas are the best and mine's the best, obviously, in my opinion. <laughs> and it's just, she's just such a cool person. And so by making that video was my little way of shining a light on her because she wants nothing to do with any attention on her. In fact, I didn't tell her I was making that video until I won the contest. I was like, oh, by the way, grandma, I made this. And I actually got to, I made, through making that video, um, I won and got to make a donation to a local charity. And I actually made that donation to the local museums because I kind of thought that fit with the story of history. And yeah, the whole thing just really worked out. So I am proud um, to belong to her. And I'm proud to talk about her and brag her, brag about her anytime that I can. Oh my goodness. Well, she sounds like an amazing woman and that's so beautiful, like full circle, just paying tribute to the legacy that she's built and giving back to your local community through that. So what an amazing opportunity. Yeah, it was really fun. It was unexpected. Um, I did that super late one night and kind of forgot about it. And then they messaged me. I'm like, oh, you're a finalist. I was like, 
whoa, cool. Sometimes <sighs> it's fun to forget things that you did and then uh, fun emails land in your inbox of, huh, that that late night effort paid off. That is so cool. Yes, that'd be exciting. So you you talked about as you kind of were transitioning to college and your grandma telling you not to forget where you came from. When you left to go to college, did you have plans to return to the family farm or what did that process look like for you? No, I didn't have specific plans to come back to the farm. I think I left college with the intention of coming back someday, somehow. Um, I really didn't set any parameters about what that looked like or really had any expectations. I studied agricultural communications at University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and I think my goal was somewhere around being an industry, um, just doing media and industry somehow. Um, I kind of got into farm broadcasting and really enjoyed radio. Um, so that was really fun. And then kind of picked up some video stuff through that too. So I was kind of headed down a route of just ag communications and industry somehow with intention of maybe ending up in my rural community. I really had no idea. And about the time that I kind of had to start figuring out like which direction I was really going to narrow my path down to was when the conversation of me coming back home to the farm came up. So I mentioned earlier, we raised chickens for Costco. Um, Lincoln Prune Poultry is technically the company that we work with, but it's just Lincoln Prune Poultry is kind of under the umbrella of Costco. So I just refer to it as Costco. Costco came to Nebraska and well, they went on a big search to find where they could build this fully integrated chicken supply chain so that their chickens, rotisserie chickens, that end up in their store are consistent every time or, you know, coming from, a, you know, the same place. And they found Nebraska, um, they specifically Fremont, Nebraska, which is about 80 miles from us. And so then they're, you know, looking for growers. And I am grateful that I belong to parents that are early adopters and forward thinking because it was a big, long process. But we got into to it on the early end um, through a family friend, actually, you know, connections always pay off somehow. And I, my parents were just supporting like, yeah, we, you know, any sort of livestock growth to Nebraska is good. And then my dad one day said to mom, like, what if we raise chickens? And that is a wild thing to come out of my dad's mouth, right? Because we're corn and cattle growers. We're not chicken growers. But he was thinking far ahead. He was looking down the line and he has three kids that want to be involved in the farm somehow. How are they going to expand and diversify the operation? And by building chicken barns for Costco, that was a way to add a full-time job. So flash forward uh, a couple of years, uh, we got our first batch of chickens the Tuesday of my senior year finals week. So I came home, we got chickens delivered on Tuesday. It was a really, really stressful time. That Wednesday, I was so sick because I think there was so much leading up to that chicken delivery on Tuesday just so much going on with school and senior year finals week whatnot, my body just crashed. Like I was just hanging on to that Tuesday. My body crashed. I was super sick on Wednesday, somehow rallied, went back to Lincoln on Thursday, took two finals and I've been home ever since, which is now three and a half years ago. As the years go by, it's like, wow, I can't believe I've been home for a year, two years, three years, almost four years. What the heck? Um, I've always been home, you know, the same amount of time I was gone for college. So yeah, really grateful for parents that are early adopters. You know, they, they entertain the idea of raising chickens, which is, yeah, wild. Uh, and they were forward thinking so that their first child, me, uh, could come home full time. And then now my brother's home part time as well. So that's kind of 
the reason why I like history is really important is because I, I really understood my family's history and what they've built. And I don't think if I had understood that, I wouldn't have been as willing to come back home to raise chickens. Day-to-day, chickens is a big part of my day, but also I'm involved in every other aspect as well. So yeah, no shortage of things to do on a daily basis. It sounds like it. Well, and it sounds like you guys, from the number of people that are involved in your family directly in farming, that's that's a lot of people to be coordinating and keeping all together on the operation. So it sounds like the diversification, I mean, obviously has allowed you to come home and eventually your brother. And is that um, a challenge at all, having so many family members involved on a day-to-day basis? Yes, for sure. Um, So my dad, like I mentioned, farms with his three brothers. So we, each brother has their own separate livestock operation and own operation, but we kind of share labor and equipment when it comes to field work. Um, And so all the corn and soybeans and hay stuff. So every brother kind of has their own specialty of what the equipment that they own very complicated, but it works. And so then also we have our, our feedlot where we background cattle. So we're getting in the wean calves right now. Uh, my brother and I, mostly my brother does management for the um, cow calf side. And then I do management with my mother for the chicken side. And so during busy seasons, you know how every season just kind of ebbs and flow into each other. Um, and so it, it is kind of a constant communication of like, okay, what is happening this week? What is happening today? What order do we think come think do things in? You know, for me, the chicken barns always come first, but my labor is valuable in the feedlot. And like yesterday, we my mom kind of had to get after me because I was home, hauling home cornstalk bales with my brother and kind of missed something in the chicken barn. So that's always I have to always balance like I'm. The chicken barns is my main role, but also other, uh, I need to be other places. And then when we're, you know, doing hay work or combining or whatnot, my dad is working with his brothers and so coordinating schedules with them. All that to say, yes, it is kind of chaotic when it comes to communication. And when you're working with so many people with so many different moving parts, it is not easy by any means. But at the same time, like, you know, during silage, my uncle owns a silage chopper, so we cut silage for the four brothers and um, a handful of neighbors. I'm in the truck for that, and I get to look out into the field, and there are six Borgs working together in the field, four trucks, silage chopper, and my dad packing. So even though it is kind of chaotic and some really hard moments of communication and just expectations with each other, like to cruise down into the field and looking at, you know, six family members that you know, six people that all share the last name, those moments definitely make the hard moments worth it because I know not everyone gets to, you know, be in the field with five other family members. That's really cool. That is special. When you said um, like how you were helping your brother haul bales and you maybe missed something in the, with the chicken barns, is that hard to like put your primary responsibility first when family's asking you for help with other things? Yes and no, in a way of sometimes managing a relationship with a mom and dad who is your boss is difficult because yesterday, you know, I'm being full, fully transparent. I was off the farm and I just went to the field to start because my brother needed me, whereas I should have just gone home, done a chicken, like done the thing in the chicken barns and then gone to the field. But I responded like I knew it was, you know, 
I was like, okay, I'll just deal with it later. Whereas like, cause it was my mom. Whereas I don't know if I would have reacted the same or responded the same way when it was, if it was an employer that wasn't my mm-hmm. mom. So sometimes like when you're working with your mom and dad, communication is easier because you know them so well and you just have a lot of history, obviously. But sometimes it makes it harder because it's like, I feel like I can get away with things that maybe I wouldn't in other situations, but I know they do things to, or like they get away with things as an employer to me that they wouldn't do if I wasn't their daughter. So it's a really weird thing to balance when your boss is your mom and your mom is your boss. And then also at the same time, like, my brother was kind of in charge of the operation yesterday or you know, the project that we were working on. So I'm working with him. Um, but at the same time, I, I was getting directions from my dad with something else. So yeah, it, chaos <laughs> is just a constant word that I'm like, I feel like just always comes up. Not like in the moment it was chaotic and un- uncontrolled, but just managing all those relationships and those tasks of being to be at different places at different times is checking in with each other. Like, hey, this went really well today, or hey, like maybe we shouldn't have acted like that. Um, I don't think anyone has it figured out because we definitely don't. And if someone does have good family communication out there figured out, like let me know. (laughs) We need (laughs) there. You have something figured out that is really tough. Uh, So yeah, it's just a daily balance of, you know, what is being done? Who's in charge? Every day is different. That's a really interesting perspective. That's not something that I've ever been involved with, like a son or daughter returning and having mom and dad as boss. Um, But I think a lot of, you know, farming operations are set up that way. That'd be so interesting, like me thinking about it from my perspective to try to balance that of like your family, but also you work for them, like they're in charge, Mm -hmm. but also you're in charge of your thing that you're specifically responsible for. Like, that's just a a hard line to walk, I feel like. Yeah. So my... My management role is the chicken barns, but I say management is like, I'm daily labor for the chicken barns, but for the point of being like the professional aspect, like my mom's a manager of chicken barns, I'm labor, but I'm daily management. (laughs) Um, Our feedlot, my dad's kind of daily management with my brother and I a little bit more. My brother is more actively involved, but he works part-time off the farm. So then there's management roles for us. And there are cow herd. Uh, my brother manages it, but I also have cows in there. So I get, you know, a say when it comes to things. Um, mm-hmm. And so kind of having some boundaries of who gets to make decisions is really helpful. I kind of bounce around between each entity, but we all do, right? So I, you know, randomly a filter in my chicken barns that for the life of me, I can never unscrew. And so I just, you know, my dad comes helps me. Um, or when we're kind of in our busy season with chicken barns, like my brother's around. And so then I'm leading him and telling him what to do. Um, when it comes to feedlot stuff, you know, I might be getting things, directions from my dad or brother, when it comes to cow stuff, it's, you know, my brother is more in charge. So just kind of having those kind of clear management roles of like, Hey, this is my turf. Like you're taking directions from me. Mm -hmm. Um, because when there's too many cooks in the kitchen, and you get too many opinions because when you're working with family, it's a lot easier to share your big, opi- big opinions. And we right. all have opinions. Um, and so just learning to be humble in a way of like, okay, nope, you are in charge of this. I'm in charge of this. Let's figure it out. It's really easy to talk about it. It's really hard to execute. So again, I don't <laughs> want to paint a picture. We're not, we're definitely not a wreck. Like we're not a mess. Like we definitely 
can get, you know, day-to-day stuff done fine, but every once in a while we hit those bumps. And like this morning, I'll share an example of, you know, how we're working on communication and how I'm working on communication. Um, We had to get a sick animal out of a yard or sick heifer out of a yard and dropped Hunter off at the gate. He went to go get one in or went to go start like finding it in the yard. I went back. I started getting the corral system ready so that we can bring it up to head gate. And I had a different idea of how we were going to do it. Well, my brother is yelling at me from across the yard because I, his idea was not the same as mine. And so I needed to open up a different set of gates. Well, by him yelling across the yard, he kind of, you know, the cattle kind of got a little bit more excited. And so then that, then he was kind of frustrated because the cattle weren't working as well. So anyways, we, I get the gate set up. I go down, talk to him and we get the sick one in. And I, after we were done, I said, you cannot, you cannot yell at me like that from across the yard. Like I had a different idea of how to do it. Like we didn't talk about how we were going to do it beforehand. So don't yell at me when I didn't read your mind. And so standing up for myself in that way, because again, guys communicate differently than uh, us girls do. And I think anyone who's listening could relate to that. So it's like, you know, if we don't talk about beforehand, we had a little breakdown of like, he yelled at me from across the yard and then kind of got the cattle um, fired up. So I, and then afterwards I said, Hey, don't yell at me like that. Even though I wasn't doing what you wanted me to like, let's, you know, go into a simple thing next time. Just like, Hey, what gate do you want to go in and out of? Um, so it's definitely an active process of, you know, always being aware of, we both had assumptions that the other person knew what the other person was going to do. But most of the time when those communication systems break down, it's based off of assumptions. So how do we over communicate a simple project of like, Hey, open up this gate. We're going into this gate kind of thing. I feel like the communication is always key. And it's good to hear that even you guys as siblings, who've probably been doing working together on those kinds of things your whole life, still, you know, have to work out the kinks. Cause I know like in husband, wife, spouse, working cattle together, it's always that kind of a situation of like, well, what are you doing? That's not what I thought I was doing. And that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. And working cattle is oftentimes like an easy thing um, ag that we talk about of like, oh, it's funny of like, I just feel like there's a lot of talk of, uh, around working cattle and how fired up people get and whatnot. And I'm really trying to break some of those cycles at our place. Cause yeah, we can absolutely get fired up when we're working cattle, but as soon as that happens, things get worse. Mm -hmm. Um, So how are we communicating things beforehand? How are we setting our expectations? Because they are animals, you know, when we're getting feedlot cattle out of a yard, they're not going to come out of the pen every time on the first try. So it's like, let's not lose our mind when it doesn't work on the first try. Like was one of us standing in the wrong spot? Like, we have, there's just a couple things that we can do. So then when it, if it does go bad, like let's take a deep breath because it's only going to get worse if we, you know, don't calm down. Um, but I think we have made progress because when we process our own cattle through the shoot, the, my brother, dad, and I can do a yard, which is about 80 to 90 in less than an hour with minimal talking. And I think that's the goal. Anytime you're working with cattle, um, the less words, the better, but that just takes time and practice of working together. And this is, you know, year two or three of us doing this. And we're finally to a place of like, okay, we can work a yard without anyone getting too fired up, but it wasn't for a lack of effort of, you know, figuring (laughs) out systems and communication. I feel like the theme of me talking anytime is communication. 
and yeah, it's everybody says, you know, communication, it's always key. It's always key, but it's so hard mm-hmm. in the moment when there's emotions flying and there may be other things going on as well. Like, well, maybe he said something snotty at breakfast to me and, you know, I'm yeah. already on edge and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, two weeks ago, whatever, the week after harvest, maybe it's been three weeks now. Uh, my my dad was gone all apart. So I'm not a daily member of our harvest crew. I'm really involved in silage, but not combining because it's my dad and his brothers. So I kind of hold down the fort and do all the chores at home. So he had been gone, you know, well, I'd seen him, but not really just in the field, you know, during harvest. And then the week after harvest, we work cattle or move cattle around every single day that whole week. And that was intense. And I don't know if it was because I wasn't used to having him around or we weren't used to working together. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a really tough week of daily, just like, holy moly, there's just a lot of big emotions. Um, and we had to talk about it at the end. Cause it's like, you do not need to get this fired up. I do not need to do this. Like, there's just, I feel like that's what we've learned of. You can't in the moment when those big emotions are happening, that's the last thing that helps anything is yelling at each other. So, you know, learning to be humbled and afterwards and maintain your emotions of like, Hey, you made me feel like this when you got really mad, but that was not necessary because they are cattle. They're, it's not going to be perfect the first time. Like this is what I need from you. And just kind of learning the language to carry us through some of those conversations has been really helpful. And having those conversations, I feel like is so important because you want to keep working with your dad. It's not like a situation where like just one day, you know, somebody's going to say the wrong thing and somebody walks away. You don't want to ever get close to that point. So the the willingness to have those conversations and like you said, kind of humble yourself enough to have them is such a big deal for the, the lifelong relationship. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about because I would not tolerate being talked to like that if it wasn't my dad. And it's like, okay, right. why is that? you know, and then if we have someone else helping us that day, they do not get talked at like that. Now, I do not want to paint a picture that every time we're working cattle or doing something, something breaks down, like it's it's go bad. I'm just talking about those few rare examples that those big emotions do get in the way. Like on a, on a day-to-day basis, normally like things are really good. I'm really mm-hmm. proud of that. But, you know, every once in a while we do have outbursts and they're getting fewer and fewer, fewer and farther between. Um, but it's like when those outbursts are happening, whether it's from me or from my dad or brother, it's like, you wouldn't talk to an employee like that. I wouldn't talk to an employer like that. So why do I have the privilege of being talked to like that from you? Like, and why am I thinking that I can say something to you that I would never say to a boss? That's not my father. So having those honest conversations of like, okay, yeah, we do know each other really well. And maybe that's why we can say some of those things. Cause we know what, you know, triggers everyone and makes everyone tick, but that's something I'm really being trying to be conscious about. It's like, okay, in a professional setting, technically I would never, you know, get this fired up and, or you would never get this fired up. So let's not, you know, let's hold each other accountable to this is a working relationship today. And then later on, when we have family as a supper, let's act like a family because we are family, like just kind of drawing those lines of business and family is hard, but important the longer and longer we go on working with each other. And again, these outbursts don't happen very often, but when they do, like, how do we have the tools to be able to communicate and make those outbursts not happen anymore? And it's, it sounds so simple, but I think 
the willingness that you guys have to do that is just huge. You, you don't see that everywhere. And I don't know, maybe is it like maybe some farm families just don't have that outside example, like you've mentioned professional versus like more family oriented environment. So many people don't go work anywhere before they come back to the farm or they don't ever leave the farm. So they don't ever get that example of how to work in a, a different environment. I feel like having that frame of reference probably helps you guys a lot. Yeah. And most of those conversations are led by me because I maybe have a little bit less tolerance for some outbursts. So my dad is my mentor, my, you know, everything. Um, but he's not as willing to have, he's never led a conversation like that, but that's okay. Cause I, I have to do what's best for me. And it's like, if I'm, I don't like when something's happening, like I got to be able to tell him, um, same way with my brother and they are more opening open to listening to me stand up for myself kind of, but yeah, some, you know, you get in your ways and, you know, my dad communicates very similarly to his father and, his, you know, my grandpa, I hear stories like from his great grandpa. So it's kind of a generational thing of how the men in our family communicate. So it's like, mm -hmm. how are we going to uh, make this even better? And my mom and I are always having conversations about it. And slowly over time, I can, you know, approach my dad and sometimes my brother like, hey, this is not okay this is not you setting a good example. We can do better. So let's figure out how do we do better. That sounds like it's going to have just such an impact on the, like the next generation and the path forward for your guys' farm the, that you guys are working on that. The relationships are such a huge part and taking the time to get that right. Yeah. And I, I hope so. Yeah. And um, again, I don't want to be painting a picture. Like we just are constantly at each other's throats because we're not, but it's like in those in those high stress situations, when there are big emotions, how do we handle it? But on a day to day thing, day to day level, like, you know, we things work well, and we're constantly calling each other or checking in or whatnot. And I love that. Like, how cool is it that I get to fight with my brother for employee of the month? Actually, my dog, <laughs> my dog wins all every month of employee of the month. But it is like I get to sit at the dinner table with my parents, or we dinner together most days. Um, to the fact where like when it gets to be Sunday dinner, when my brother or when my sister and brother-in-law come down, it's like, well, I'm going to leave early because I see my family all week. You know, it is such a gift to get to know them and work up with them so much. Um, even those hard moments are worth it because it's like we're building something that has been built for us that matters to us. And we're going to continue to fight for what we believe in. And that's, you know, our farm, our family. And our future generations. I love that. That's a really beautiful way to say what you guys are working towards. So kind of circling back to the chickens. And I, I'm so curious about that because we just don't have chicken production in Kansas. So tell me more about what that looked like for you guys. Did, was there any opposition to you guys adding them to the farm or how did that conversation, those conversations unfold? So Nebraska is not known as a chicken state either, but ironically, uh, my small town of Wakefield, we have Michael Foods, um, which is a large commercial farm that of egg layers. So, mm. so specifically in my community, there's large chicken farms, but not in Nebraska as general. So when it came to any opposition, no, because if anything, our chicken barns, they're teeny tiny, like we're just 
we have three barns, whereas there's multiple farms of like 12 or 16 barns in our area. Um, we also are not zoned in our county, so we didn't have to go through a zoning process for that. Um, other families and growers had to go through some really intense zoning meetings for their for their barns because you know there there can be opposition for uh, livestock barns in my mind for no reason because there's you know people think that they smell or this and that and they don't they're none in my opinion none of the the opposition really carries any weight with it and so yeah we were lucky we didn't have to we didn't have to deal with any opposition that's good and was everybody in the family kind of on board or was that a long discussion to say yes this is the right direction for us I think my parents had made up their mind before I was told about it, um, which I'm glad because it's like I, you know, they were going to do it regardless for their kids or not, if their kids wanted to or not. Maybe I should backtrack on that. I don't know. From my opinion, my dad approached me, said, hey, I've got a job for you. And generally that means some meaningless job or whatever. But he said, <laughs> I have a job for you. Do you want to raise chickens? I was like, what the heck? <laughs> uh, and I don't it'd be interesting to know, like, if I was really opposed to it, if they would have backed out, but I don't, I don't think so, because it was a way to expand and diversify for, a, you know, to add an employee. Um, the timing just lined up that I was able to come home right away. So yeah, grateful that they're early adopters, because yeah, it's pretty wild to add a whole new entity to your farm uh, with no knowledge, like we didn't even have backyard chickens. So what are we doing with 60,000 chickens? But it worked out. It, it was really, really tough. It was so tough. Anytime you start any new business or venture or whatever, with absolutely no experience, um, you would think our livestock experience with cattle would, there'd be some crossover to chickens, but absolutely not. Other than the animal husbandry of like, that one doesn't look very well. Um, there is no crossover of like, oh, I know how to care for cattle. I can think, figure out how to raise chickens, but raising chickens in our barns is completely different than anything we've ever done before. Um, mm -hmm. So that, yeah, that's a wild experience for sure to figure out how to do, but happy to announce three and a half years later, we have a good handle on it. <laughs> that's good. Do you guys have Costco's in your local area then? Uh, the closest Costco would be in Omaha, which is about an hour and a half away. Um, Sioux Falls is two hours north. So no, we do not have a Costco in our area. I would love for there to be one in Sioux City, Iowa, which is about a half an hour away, maybe someday. But anytime we go to Omaha or Lincoln, uh, I definitely swing by Costco and I always go back to the chicken aisle or where the rotisserie chickens are and just admire that we were part of the process to bring that chicken there. That's really cool. Really cool. So you talked a little bit about your experience, like the timeline of you coming home and like kind of just jumping headfirst into the chicken production. What was that, you know, first six months like of being a chicken farmer or a chicken manager and Miserable. what did what did you learn I learned I never want to go through that again so a couple things uh there's a lot of hype around going to college there's a lot of transition into college no one mentions or talks about that there's also an emotional transition out of college um and so to go from you know living in Lincoln living in college or you know going to college to living at home. So I had to live with my parents at home for about six or nine months because even with a year and a half of looking in my little area, I didn't find a place to live. And it took until, so I moved back in May, it took until December for me to move out of my parents' place. 
Um, so not only are, am I transitioning out of college, I'm living with my parents again, and I am working with my parents in a way that I've never worked with them before. Also with brand new chicken barns, we had the expectation that everything would work, right? Brand new equipment. Well, we were so wrong. Um, nothing worked. There's just so many kinks, just so, I, I can't even explain it. Um, I actually don't have a lot of memory from that first summer home um, because I think when you go through traumatic things, like you kind of can black it out of your memory. And I think that's what happened to us just because we were so underprepared on like daily management. It's one thing to, you know, be around the chickens, but the bigger thing is to run the equipment. So, you know, we have a hundred motors that run every time the chickens get fed. I think it took us over a hundred days so that every, to reach a day that every single motor ran like it was supposed to. And so, you know, one, figuring out what's wrong, two, diagnosing it, three, fixing it, and then maintaining it. Oh, and then running equipment in the summer is different than running equipment in the winter. Like, oh, and you're sick of your parents? Too bad. You're working with them and living with them. Oh, you are used to seeing your friends every day. Now you have to drive two hours to see them. Like, wild, wild, wild experience uh, that was miserable. But there was a lot of growth through that. You know, we had to lean on each other in a way that's never happened before. And it gets better over time. And we knew it. And so we just had to wade through the muck of just heavy, just daily, like we don't know what we're doing. And now a couple of years later, you know, I've lived, I live 10 miles from the farm. Um, I have my own space. I have my own boundaries, uh, management stuff. We know what's going on with the chicken barns. Um, we're in a way better place. And I think I can value this place so much more because we were in a really deep, dark place at one point. Um, so coming through that together has been kind of really cool, actually. That sounds very overwhelming. <laughs> I, uh, wow. Yeah. Um, what kind of got you through that season? Faith. I don't know. Leaning on each other. I don't, I don't know. You know, everyone goes through tough things. You know, you just, and it, I don't know really what it's like what it would have been like if I had, you know, moved to a different city and started working a job someplace like that. What I, I would assume is an emotional ro roller coaster of restarting all over again in a different city and with a new job. I, I think I just really had to lean on some friends. Um, I just, you know, we had to lean on each other. This too shall pass was kind of our mindset and it did. And you know, of course, there's still hard moments and new things that come up all the time, but nothing is as hard as that time. Um, and I never want brand new chicken barns again. We did learn that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it just is, I don't, I don't really know if I have good advice of how we survived it because um, you just, every day you wake up and you figure it out and that's what you do. And sometimes you can't even look at the whole day. You got to look at one task. Okay. How am I going to figure this out? Okay. How am I going to get to the next one? just breaking things down. Um, and over time, when something breaks down and it's already broken down before, you get excited because you're like, wait, I know how to fix this. Um, and celebrating those small wins, I think is really important. Okay. Do you mind doing a little bit of education here about like the process that you guys go through with your chickens? Because I just am so clueless. When you said a hundred <laughs> motors running to feed them, I was like, what? 
Yeah. Do you mind going through that? Of course. Yes. I um, never, it's still like an identity thing of like, oh, I know things about chickens or I go to town and people are like, oh, you're the chicken gal now. It's like, (laughs) no, like technically I like cattle more than chickens. Um, Like just the identity thing of I'm raising chickens is wild, but that's a whole nother thing too. But yeah, so we get 60,000 baby birds twice a year. Um, And so we raise the pullets. And so we get 53,000 females and 7,000 males. We get them when they're day old um, and we have them for 21 weeks, which is five months. And then after that 21 weeks, they get moved to another farm where they lay eggs. Um, Actually, we are shipping chickens next week. So we're pretty excited about that. And at the breeding farm, they're called breeding farms. At the breeding farms, they lay eggs there. Um, those eggs go to Fremont to a hatchery to be hatched. Those hatched mm-hmm. chicks go out to broiler farms all across eastern Nebraska and some western Iowa. And then those broilers, which are, you know, like feedlot deers, they get, sometimes I put things in cattle terms so that people can understand it. Because that's how I have to understand a lot of things in cattle terms. And so those broilers, those meat birds get six pounds in six weeks-ish. And then they go back to Fremont to be processed. And um, the processing plant in Fremont gets in about a million birds a week. And then it goes to Costco's all across Western United States. So if you're west of the Mississippi and you buy chicken from Costco, there's a really good chance that it came from Nebraska. Um, So we, as pullet growers, I kind of like to say we, we raise the heifers in cattle terms. And we're one of seven pullet growers that feed into 14 breeding farms, and then hundreds of broiler farms. I don't, I don't know what that number is. But if you're ever looking to get into chicken production, pullets are the way to go. We really like our pullets versus broilers. Um, it fits our lifestyle. It fits our operation really well. Um, so depending on how you look at the food chain, we're either at the very top because we're the prim- you know, second from the primary flock or very bottom. Um, you're not buying chicken that came from our farm at Costco, you're buying the product of our chickens because we have the males and females, if that makes sense. Okay. Yes. That is so, so it's interesting. Like, yeah. So from the cattle side, it's like, if you're going someplace to buy heifers, you know, we, we have the heifers and bulls, we background mm-hmm. those in chick in cattle terms. Okay. So our, our chicken barns, we have two 60 by 600 foot long barns that the, the females in it. And then we have a 60 by 300 foot long barn that has the males in it. Um, Males and females, everything's raised the exact same. Uh, They're just kept separate until they have a job to do. And when it comes to the motors, uh, there's just long feed lines, you know, across the whole house and water lines. Um, So each feed line has three motors, one, a motor that's pulling the feed in from the bulk bin outside, and then two motors at the end of these 300 foot long flex auger tubes with all the feeders on it to pull the feed through the whole, the whole auger. So it's a lot of motors and it's incredible. Um, You know, sometimes things will just randomly break down. You're like, what the heck? And then the next day I'll be working. Um, as someone, I've grown up on the farm, obviously my whole life, I'm not necessarily mechanically inclined, but I've learned a lot about mechanical and electrical stuff from our chicken barn. So I have a baseline knowledge of how to fix a lot of things. If not, I can diagnose a lot of things. And then we have a service tech that comes fix things if it's out of our league of, you know, how to fix things. Lots of new skills then. Is that pretty yeah. automated then? 
like the are things on like timers and you get does it tell you if something's broken or how does that all yep go? yeah okay. so everything is automated but it's set up to be automated so the feed runs on its own but the day before i always set the feed um is what we call it we have a computer system it's called our rotom that controls like all the ventilation there's just a ton of different data points that we're looking at um, that we have access to um, we have an app on our phone to look at exactly what's going on in the barns um, in terms of numbers. You know, you still have to be in the barns every day. But if something like a silly thing, if a temperature sensor, there's eight temperature sensors across the whole barn. The temperature sensor falls down for whatever reason. They're kind of tied up at bird height. But if whatever reason one falls down and a chicken lays on it, well, that temperature sensor is going to get really warm. And we have an alarm system that recognizes like, okay, this temperature is out of the range of tolerance. And so then we get an alarm call on our phone and it's an automated voice that says um, house one temperature too high or whatever. So then you go up to the barns, so you look at the numbers and you can figure it out um, what's going on. So yeah, it's all automated in a way, but you have to set it up to be automated. Gotcha. Well, I feel like 0.5% smarter now just knowing <laughs> the information you shared about chicken production that is so interesting yeah uh, it's wild um but the cool thing is like so I always joke like raising chickens isn't cool raising cattle is cool but the cool thing with the chicken barns is like right now it's cold in Nebraska you know we're we're in winter now I'm I'm holding hot pockets in my hand because <laughs> my hands are cold but the coldest my chicken barns ever get is 65 degrees so in the winter when it's miserable outside yes we do seal with still deal with frozen fan motors or vents or whatnot but the maintenance or like the working environments is a lot nicer in the chicken barns um I mean on the other end it's 90 degrees when we get baby birds so those are kind of harder working conditions um but in terms of labor it's pretty easy going in the chicken barns you don't have the extreme hots or extreme colds consistently so many things go into yeah. it that you never think about yeah and the, another cool thing that fits us really well is the chicken barns in terms of labor is pretty easy um you know i'm a small human i you know i can i'm only capable of so much physical stuff but i can do pretty much everything in the chicken barns by myself, especially day-to-day -day stuff. Whereas, you know, with cattle stuff or field stuff, you're oftentimes working with someone else. Um, and so, and except for times when we're setting up to receive baby birds, we're pretty much, labor is just pretty much me and my mom and sometimes my sister. Um, so that's really nice as well to be a small human and be able to like handle a majority of these jobs myself because there's just some jobs I can't do on the farm physically because I am smaller, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, you mentioned a little bit about the identity piece of it and how you, you know, like to be involved with the cattle side of things. Is that anything that has to be kind of like discussed or brought up on the farm of who gets to do what based on interest, or is it just kind of everybody does what they do because that's the way it is? Um, the second way for sure, like whatever has to get done gets done. I'm, uh, I'm the only one in the chicken barns. My mom's in the barns a couple times a week. If, and sometimes it's nice to have her in the barns a couple times a week, uh, just because when you look at the same thing every day, you can, you know, miss silly things. And I do that mm. every once in a while. But where the identity thing comes from is, you know, people always ask me, like, how are the chickens? And it's like, 
ah, there's, I don't, I'm more than just chickens. And I've accepted that. Uh, I used to get a little bit more fired up about it, but now I know like people are asking because they're genuinely curious because it is something new. If I want to talk about something else, I can, but I really honor their curiosity. And I know that, you know, I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for chickens, no matter how not glamorous it is. Um, people would say that the same about working in a feedlot. It's not glamorous, um, but there's just a little bit more pride around cattle in Nebraska, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so that's why like sometimes like people just ask like, how are the chickens? It's like, they're good, but so are the cattle or so are the cows <sighs> like that. Um, but just honoring that I knew identity of, you know, I am proud to raise chickens for my family, but I'm more proud to, it's more so I am proud to be at home raising chickens because mm. if it wasn't for these chickens, I wouldn't be home. That makes sense. I'm sure that is a challenge, especially when you grew up doing, you know, not having that be part of your farm life. And now it's like a whole new thing to add into your identity, but yeah. It is, but it is really cool to reflect of like how much growth I've had because there's just a lot of things that we've had to figure it out. And I wouldn't have to figure out a lot of things if it was just, if I was just doing the feed lot and cow calf and crop side, you know, those systems are already in place. That management is already figured out. You know, there's still mm -hmm. things that we figure out or like issues that we have to solve, but the overarching of like what we do and how we do it is figured out. But um, there was definitely a lot more growth that happened by working in the chicken barns that would have never happened anywhere else just because we had no prior knowledge, no neighbors to rely on. That's a hard thing, too, because um, just the culture in Nebraska, obviously, is crops and cattle. So no matter who you talk to, you can, you know, learn about, you know, something from them related to the crop and cattle side, but not really having a community around the chickens Chicken production was kind of hard, has been hard, still is kind of hard. Um, so there's just a lot more that we lean on of like, okay, we're just going to figure it out. Um, but we do have people to call like, okay, we can't figure this out. What do you do? Mm. Well, it sounds like the growth that you've had is a lot to be proud of. That's not easy stuff to walk through. So you should be proud of that. Thanks. Yeah. And just learning to recognize that I can say I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of what we do has been its own growth because at one point it's like, am I proud that we raise chickens? But as time goes on, you know, at first, I think a lot of people were kind of looking at like, mm, let's see how this goes. But as time goes on and the more people ask about it and I've heard people talk about like, oh yeah, we'd be interested in um, putting up chicken barns if we had the opportunity. Like people have said that to me that I never would have thought said that, but people do see the advantage of, you know, raising chickens and expanding through diversifying through chickens. Um, so just, you know, that change that has changed over time too. the, you know, how people approach it of like, Hmm, looks interesting to now it's like, Oh yeah, that, you know, that is working out for you guys. Like good for you guys. That's really cool. And you've been a part of that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have my last question for you and I did prep Hannah so she wouldn't be on the spot, but, um, we always finish up with the question of what is your favorite family or farm tradition? Yes. Yeah, so I didn't need any prep for this because um, <laughs> I can still answer how I would have answered it if you didn't prep me. There's a lot of traditions that we do and really I honor a lot of those traditions. But my favorite thing that make our family unique maybe is that my grandma has an ice cream machine in her kitchen. 
So uh, this ice cream machine has been there since the 80s, I think, or earlier. I should know the exact date. Um, but grandpa bought it from a business that was going out in town. And when he got brought it home, grandma was annoyed because she had to give up her broom closet. So grandpa had a place to put this ice cream machine. But 50 years or whatever, how many years later, our family has ice cream. Anytime we get together, um, you know, any holiday or we just a couple of weeks ago, we kind of did our end of harvest celebration, which is oyster soup. But we still have ice cream. The ice cream machine is running. So I don't know if a lot of families can say their end of harvest tradition is having soup and ice cream. But my, you know, earlier I mentioned like one of my goals is my house to kind of look like a museum, but I also have a goal of my house uh, having an ice cream machine in it someday. So that's a family tradition that's really, but well, maybe it's not a tradition. Maybe it's a ritual, I guess. I would say it's a tradition to have ice cream during any family gathering. Um, but it's just a fun conversation piece, and I'm really glad that Grandma still does it because uh, it's not only the ice cream that's really good, it's the fact that the counter is literally lined end to end with different toppings. And it's pretty cool that we can work together as a family all year long and still get together for, you know, end of harvest celebration. You know, we'll do Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up um, and, you know, sit around the table and talk like family and have ice cream. So that's that's the biggest thing I'm proud of. It's the biggest gift that we have. We can work together, do business together, do hard life things together, um, but still get together as a family and be a family. That is so cool. And all because grandpa got a hankering for some ice cream one day, it sounds like. <laughs> yes. And uh, the bad thing is I have a sweet tooth. Well, my whole family, <laughs> we kind of have a sweet, sweet tooth. Like I said, grandma always has a plate of cookies in the house. Um, we're, we're, yeah, we just have sweet tooth. And so, um, I do my part to keep, keep Dairy Queen in operation throughout the winter <laughs> because I will never turn down ice cream. Um, and as someone who lives by myself, I still buy a gallon of ice cream by my, for myself. So yes, that's, I, I do my very best to support the industry, the dairy industry as much <laughs> as I can, even through the winter months. That is cool. My family, I always say we support the dairy industry because we go through eight gallons of milk every week. And everyone is always shocked to hear that, but we have four little kids. So we go through yeah, a lot of milk. That's awesome. Yeah. Every, every industry in ag is unique. And I'm just proud that I get to be a daily part of the production on our family farm and just proud to belong to family farm within the ag industry. So cool. Well, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show, Hannah, and sharing such special stories about your family and the legacy that you guys are building. Um, if people want to follow up with you or connect with you further, how can they do that? Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for letting me share uh, my heart a little bit. Uh, my Instagram is at it's Hannah Borg, ITS Hannah Borg. I'm pretty active on my Instagram stories um, and a little bit on Twitter. But yeah, just just check out my Instagram to see what we're up to mostly daily. Just a lot of cattle pictures and dog pictures. But um, as a photographer, I just I love pictures and um, and always capturing things going on around the farm. Well, we all need more pictures of cattle and dogs in our life. So yeah, that's what I tell that. myself. If people got annoyed of all my dog and cattle pictures, they wouldn't follow me. So, you know, you've been warned. If you come to my page, you will find um, some dog and cattle pictures. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I can't post about the chicken barns um, just because mm -hmm. it's 
in our contract that we can't, you know, post there, which is also weird, a weird identity thing, because sometimes my, you know, my daily role revolves around the chicken barns. But if you just look at my Instagram, it doesn't look like it. So that's kind of a weird, Mm. that was a weird thing to balance at first. I'm used to it now. But yeah, you won't find any chicken pictures there, but you will find lots of right now, baby calves or wean calves and dog pictures. Well, very cool. Thank you again so much, Hannah. It was so nice to get to talk with you and we'll talk again soon, I hope. Yes, thank you. Do you know someone building their ag legacy or with stories of yesteryear on the farm that need to be shared? Please let us know or help them apply to be a guest on the show at farmingonpurpose.com guest. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the show on Apple Podcasts or give us a share on social media. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, at, at Farming on Purpose on all social media. And let us know what topics you want to hear more about.